This is the Courier Talking Football. I'm Sean Hamilton and joining me this week are resident wise man Jim Spence and resident wise ass Alan Temple. <laughs> well, chaps, it's been quite a week around Courier Country with transfer deadline day coming and going for Dundee United, Dundee, St Johnston and everyone else. Most notably, of course, for Wraith Rovers. Now, uh, under the circumstances, guys, I think it would be ridiculous to tackle, first of all, anything other uh, than Rovers' explosive deadline day decision to sign David Goodwillie from Clyde. Now, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this is a story that's that's rocked Scottish football this week and all while wreaking absolute havoc on Wraith Rovers as a club as well. Um in terms of context, we've had fan uproar, director resignations, the club's primary sponsors asking for their names to be removed from shirts. We've had long-serving volunteers quitting, uh, community foundation employees quitting, a schism with the Wraith Rovers, women and girls, FC. We've had the first minister weighing in, and we've had the club high up in nationwide news bulletins and international <laughs> media presenting the story to the world, which is uh, crazy. Um, I, I don't want to cut across what, what either of you will, will have to say and what's been a, a pretty crazy week in Wraith Rovers history, but it seems to me that kind of behind all of this, there's a there's a fundamental misjudgment on, on the part of the club's decision makers, that being that you, you can't have the conversation about signing David Goodwillie as a footballer without having the conversation about the baggage that comes with signing David Goodwillie as a man. And that's a man who was branded a rapist by a civil court judge in 2017. So... It looks to me a wee bit, Alan, uh, like those who signed off on this deal at Starks Park thought either that the conversation around the ugly stuff, and it, and it is exceptionally ugly, would, would be manageable, or that they didn't think it would be a big deal, which, which seems slightly mad to me. But, I mean, you've been on this story from the moment Goodwillie was announced as a Wraith Rovers player on, on deadline day right through to when the statement from John Sim on Thursday acknowledged that the board had made a mistake. Uh, and that work was underway to annul David Goodwillie's contract, uh, and you're still on it now. Uh, so, Alan, mate, what on earth were they thinking? Yeah, it's the most monumental act of self-harm Wraith Rovers have ever made in their history, and I've ever seen a football club um, perpetrate um, in my career, that's for sure, um, largely because they knew this would be the reaction. Uh, David Goodwillie was linked with Race Rovers Football Club in December and the backlash was immediate. The warnings were stark and the message was loud and clear. And those who sent that message and even certain directors on the board firmly believed that those grievances had been heard loud and clear and this would not be happening. What the decision makers were thinking when it became apparent over the weekend, immediately preceding the transfer deadline day, um, when it became when they realised they could have the possibility of signing David Goodwillie, what they were thinking, I don't know. I would love to ask them. Um, so you know, the, if if anyone yeah. happens to be listening from the Wraith Rovers boardroom, the the offer's still there. Because um, I, I would I would love to just ask that question because they obviously felt it was justifiable they they must have had a conversation they, and i would just like to uh, you know i would like to hear what, what were the the reasons behind it that superseded the warnings and the 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 predicted backlash that they had been mm. warned about but i mean through all this it's, it's worth pointing out right at the start um you know 
what happened in terms of the, the David Goodwillie case isn't a, a vague historical waypoint. It isn't a, you know, a, 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 a mere detail. It's it's a person and the, the, the person should be, you know, foremost in our thoughts because um, through no fault of her own, uh, a mother has been forced to relive the worst day in her life um, on a daily basis in the newspapers. And again, that is something that Wraith Rovers, for whatever reason, are responsible for. In terms of um, uh, being interested in asking them uh, to sort of go into their thinking a bit, I mean, we should say at this point that you have attempted to do that, haven't you? Oh, s- several occasions, yeah. Uh, so John Sims has been contacted, Karen McCartney's been contacted. Um, I do um, yeah, have a working um, you know, relationship with, with John McGlynn and uh, he's chosen not to go into the topic on in depth at the moment. Um, so uh, that's the situation in terms of getting a response from Wraith Rovers. Jim, I mean, we're, we're, we're a football podcast first and foremost, and mm. the three of us are, are football writers, football broadcasters, football fans, really. I mean, that's that's no doubt a, a large part of why we got into this in the first place. But the last week has, has shown us that this, and, and probably at this point, by extension, any David Goodwillie transfer story is, is really less a story about football and more a story about crime, punishment, and how individual personal positions on those kind of social chestnuts, if you like, can kind of clash wildly with with cultural thought on those topics, if you like. So mm-hmm. if it's legitimate to knock the Wraith Rovers board for believing they could have the football conversation about David Goodwillie without having the the conversation about the, the, the rape, it would be equally wrong of us to try to do one without the other as well. So, I mean, Jim... On the crime and punishment aspect, you've 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 got a good few years of legal expertise tucked away in a, a duffel coat pocket somewhere in Spence Towers <laughs> up there. What's line up in the what, loft? What, that's it. I mean, just just very briefly and in, in general terms. I mean, what what is the difference between a criminal court prosecution and a civil court proceeding in Scots law? Well, basically, on um, it's it's about the standard of proof. I mean, if you go back to you know uh, when when the appeal, um, you know. Goodwillie and David Robertson, of course, uh, lost their appeal against the, the the damages action, and the Crown Office at that time said that they stood by their their, their previous decision not to prosecute uh, the footballers. And uh, I can do no better than what they said at that time. As a spokesman was quoted as saying, "As Lord Armstrong stated in his judgment, standard of proof to be satisfied that's in a criminal case was that uh, uh, sorry I, I stated in his judgment, the standard of proof to be satisfied was was of the balance of probabilities. That's in the civil case, the damages action, which is a less onerous requirement than the standard um, in criminal cases, which is beyond a reasonable doubt." And, and he went on to say further, there's no requirement of corroboration in civil cases, unlike in criminal cases. So what what happened, remember, in, in you know, in the Goodwillie, and this was a fascinating case, of course, because, you know, and, and I almost hesitate to say that, given the, you know, the, the fact that, you know, this, this poor woman has had to kind of relive all this again in, in recent weeks, which is horrendous. Um, th- this was the first civil rape case of its kind in Scotland, and essentially what it was a about was given that the, you know, that the crown had not taken the case because ultimately that you know their decision not to prosecute was they thought they could not successfully land um, 
you know, the Landy case, if you want to put it like that, yeah. then, uh, you know, the, the woman in question, Denise Clare, took the civil civil action against both these the, these players at the time for damages. And that's essentially what a civil case is about. It's about compensation and damages. Um, and and, and the, the fee agreed, although initially it was to be half a million, ended up being £100,000 in the civil action at the court of session in Edinburgh. So effectively, you've got two different standards of proof. You've got uh, one in criminal cases, which is trying to prove something happened beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, and the lesser standard uh, of proof is on the balance of probabilities. It was, I mean, I once read, a, I mean, I'm a long time away from my law books, but I once read a distinction which suggest, you know, from, from a case, I think it might, may have been an English case, where the judge had said the best way to explain it was that if someone said that they, they'd seen, um, you know, uh, what they thought was a big cat, in Hyde Park, then on the balance of probabilities, there was more chance that it was an Alsatian than, than an escaped lioness, you know, which is, sounds a bit kind of uh, esoteric. But, um, you know, th- th- that's the difference. I mean, the difference is that there's a lesser standard of proof. It's easier to prove something. And, of course, you know, in the, in the civil case, that it, it, you know, the... Um, there was no doubt about it. You know, there was. Um, it, it was quite clear that the, the the judge was persuaded, and indeed on the appeal, mm. I was thrown out as well. You know, so um, albeit on that lesser standard of proof, but that that's the key difference. There are two different standards of proof. It's a higher standard of proof in a criminal case to bring a successful criminal prosecution. Um, than it is to succeed in a civil case, which is about damages and compensation. I think probably the key thing for the, for you know when people bring in this was a, a unique situation, a rape case. Um, you know the thing is what it allowed Ms. Clare to do at that time was at least have the satisfaction. I suspect less about the money, but at least have the satisfaction of a court of law saying we agree with you. We think you know we agree yep. with you with, with you in this circumstance that this happened and this happened against your will. Absolutely. I mean, uh, for uh, even just getting a flavour there of the sort of complexities of everything that's gone into this entire situation here, but but the upshot of it, Alan, is is that David Goodwillie, it looks like now will will not play for Wraith Rovers. I, think, I believe work is underway. I don't I don't know. You might know more than I have. I don't think they're they're at a point where they have found a way to successfully kind of cancel that contract, but they're certainly working to do it. Um, given everything that's happened over the last few days, Alan, can you can you see any possible way that the heads don't roll for this at Starks Park? Oh, it's uh, it's an incredibly <laughs> yeah d- difficult question to answer, largely because I think a lot of people will feel that there should be um, repercussions, there should be accountability, um, there certainly should be explanations, uh, but there's also there is a, a, a challenges in the sense that. John Sim, the ultimate decision maker with regards to this signing, um, has effectively complete power over Wraith Rovers. Um, not only is he the main decision maker at the football club, but uh, Wraith Rovers' biggest fixed asset, their football stadium, an asset worth around mm-hmm. £1.3 million, um, isn't owned by Wraith Rovers. It's owned by a company called Starks Park Property Limited, uh, of which John Sim is the only director. Um, so he has an iron grip on the club's most important asset. So um, the notion that John Sim would go anywhere is fanciful at this stage without any viable alternative. Um, in terms of the directors further down the chain, uh, that at this moment in time, there's not been a suggestion that any of them will be removed from their position. So at that point, it becomes an issue of... 
um, personal accountability, whether they feel they can continue in their roles. Um, it is worth pointing out at this point, it's not a mitigation, it's not a justification, but you know, there's a lot of people on the board that have supported Wraith Rovers and until this decision, their legacy would have been having put a lot of money into the club and supported the club because it is a football club propped up by its directors and its shareholders, largely John Sim. So with that all in mind, it's not as simple as saying new broom, get everybody out because the club would fold. Um, So, um, but it probably does need fresh blood. I I don't think John Sim also being the chairman as well as, Owning everything he owns is mm-hmm. a good example of corporate governance. So you'd be thinking perhaps somebody new in the chairmanship um, in terms of building bridges and restoring trust. You'd be getting Andy Mill and Bill Clark back on that board as quickly as possible. Um, if there's a better person for the chairmanship than Bill Clark, I've not seen the one. Um, his stance has been principled. His words have been eloquent this week. And well respected as well, isn't he? Very well respected, as is Andy Mill. Uh, sorry, Andy Mill um, among the support. He was effectively a supporter director, um, so he's a such a hugely respected conduit between the fans and the and the board. And you know, in terms of uh, would it be the worst idea if she would have it to maybe get a Val McDermott on the board or um, mm. uh, perhaps Mary Penman, someone like that? You know, it's I, I think. Um, an evolution of the board rather than a revolution is probably more likely, but there certainly needs to be fresh ideas and there needs to be fresh thinking because the decision-making process and the decision that was ultimately made are indicative of a, a, a staggering lack of judgment that you know it can't. Would you trust them to make another big decision, knowing that the only two dissenting voices to this decision are no longer even on the board? That's scary thought. Sean, I think it's, you know, Alan raises a lot of really good points. And I'll ask him something because, he, you know, he's much more across the, the mechanics of the story than I am. Because it strikes me that, you know, um, there are two forms of mitigation which will require to be attempted here. One, one is much more difficult than the other. Both will be painful, however. Uh, and it will be the mitigation of the loss of self-esteem and self-respect which Wraith Rovers have. A club well-liked in Scottish football. That you know, both those mitigations will be very, very difficult to um, to over you know to to, to achieve uh, to overcome the, the enormous reputational damage which has been done to Wraith with this. The, the, the other one, and this in many respects is equally difficult, is the the compensatory element. How they mitigate their compensation? Because I, I, I mean, while I said a minute ago in attempting to explain the differences between standards of proof in civil and criminal cases, and I am a long time away from my law books, you know, um, I still struggle mightily to see how uh, Wraith are going to escape um, th- this contract without substantial compensation to David Goodwillie. I don't see any grounds for them resiling from the, the contract, and, and, and it may well be, and now we're into an element of mind reading, it may well be that Goodwillie feels that, frankly, he now has nothing left to lose, that um, his football career may well be uh, completely scuppered. Um, it's hard to see where it goes from here. And he may well now take the decision, well, you know, I'm not even prepared to attempt to negotiate on this. You've offered me, and that was what I want to ask, Al. Was it a two-and-a-half-year deal they'd offered them, Alan? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so a, a two-and-a-half-year deal, I don't know what kind of money they'd been offering. I've got, I, could, I could stab a guess at it, but there's no point in doing that. Uh, but if Goodwillie, you know, likes to play hardball here, it's difficult to see reputationally 
what he has to lose because he, you know, he, he perhaps thought that after five years of playing at Clyde, that, that this wrongly had had, had gone away. Uh, this has reopened an absolute hornet's nest, uh, and it may well be now that um, that he feels that you know he's entitled to to play hardball in this in terms of seeking uh, you know full whack of the compensation which he feels he might be due, and that would be two and a half years money. Um, so they're all now. I'm sure it'll be negotiated away somehow or other. But Rafe have put themselves in two invidious positions here. One, the money, which which is secondary to the absolute car crash horror show that they've got themselves involved in. You know, m- making this young woman relive, um, as you said earlier on, there the worst possible day of her life uh, and trashing the reputation of a football club, which was you know which was kind of not not a huge football club, but a club which was probably liked and admired by a great many people. It's I mean. It's almost unthinkable how anyone, given the warning that, that Val McDermott, you know, had, had posted to them over a, a month ago about this, it's almost unthinkable how they could have embarked on this course of action, um, you know, so, so stupidly. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point you make with regards to the, the contract severance. I don't think it will be um, easy negotiations and... Frankly, I, I wouldn't, and this this does not come from speaking to anyone in the mm-hmm. Race Rovers board, nor does it come from speaking to David Goodwillie, but I would not expect the negotiations to be easy or there to be a great deal of um, desire to find a middle ground because, frankly, I would find it incredibly hard to believe that over the course of the negotiations, Race Rovers didn't say to David Goodwillie, listen, we know there'll be some kickback, we know there'll be blowback, but we'll stick with you. He oh, mu- that must he he must have been given that assurance. Otherwise, he wouldn't have agreed to the move. I just uh, as I say, I'm not stating that as a fact. I'm stating that as an educated assumption. Now, um, so with that in mind, if you're David Goodwillie, having just you know uh, seen everything that's blown up, what, what what motive do you have to make this easy for anyone? You know, this is probably yeah. you're probably looking at a payday to see you into retirement at this point. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Aye, I mean, I, I was I was going to mention that. I mean, the the question really, uh, I mean, beyond Ray Rovers, if you want to if we want to focus on David Goodwillie himself for a minute, the question kind of is what now for David Goodwillie? Because I mean, this it's a player who, after five five years at Clyde, I think it was. I mean, he found himself in a in a situation as 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 close to obscurity is not quite the word, but almost as as close to that as a professional footballer with his background scoring as many goals as he's tended to could possibly expect or, or, or imagine. Um, now, let, let's not pretend there wasn't a backlash when he signed for Clyde five years ago. There was, but it, it, over time it had all but been kind of forgotten by the mainstream media, of which we should probably acknowledge that we're a part. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, David Goodwillie, by by virtue of this disastrous attempted move to race Rovers, is now, He's now firmly back in the spotlight, and I mean, is anybody going to want to sign him now? Having having watched what has happened around Race Rovers over the last week, I mean, it, it, it would, to my mind, it would take an incredibly strong-willed and, and arguably incredibly foolhardy chairman, uh, would it not, to sign David Goodwill at this point? Does does he have a future in football, and should he? Um, uh, Sean, there are you know, I mean, intriguingly, um, before we start the podcast, I was saying to Al now, I'd actually knocked back BBC the other day to come on and talk about, they wanted to talk about the, the you know, the, the kind of what it meant financially, contractually and all the rest of it, but I knew that conversation couldn't be had um, you know, without getting into all of the other areas, and frankly, you know what radio's like, three-minute segment, throwaway, I mean, we've now been discussing this for 25 minutes, because yeah. 
it is such a serious, um, serious kind of uh, topic with so many avenues. I mean, you know, we haven't even touched on things like w- what are the what are the duties of rehabilitation? Um, uh, you know, uh, is it is rehabilitation to be a selective thing? That you know, are there times when rehabilitation shouldn't be considered? All of those things, um, and then of course, the, you know, we've talked about the compensation. We've talked about the much more important thing about race and and, and the young women concerned, which is a horror show. Um, what's happened to her again? Um, but in terms of where Goodwill goes from here now, um, it's again, it's a guessing game. But you know, it kind of crossed my mind that the only potential avenue for him um, is, you know, is perhaps back to Clyde. And given the storm that this has created now, um, I, I'm yeah. not sure that even if that could be, you know, if that can be done. I mean, there are all sorts of things involved in this. There are many hypocrisies involved in this. I mean, many people have leapt on the bandwagon in the in the full and complete knowledge that, 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 that you know, that Goodwillie has been playing for the last five years in Scottish football. I mean, I, I, I thought, I have to say, I thought the First Minister was disingenuous by suggesting that you know that something should be done by football. Well, if football wanted to do something, it should have done something five years ago. Uh, and if you're that if you're that concerned, you would make sure if you led the Scottish government that you made sure that no money went into football of any form. And that might be the kind of loans we've seen through COVID until such times as they make a policy and this sort of stuff. So there are all sorts of hypocrisies and and, and genus faced stances on on all of this sort of stuff. But and you know those are all for another day. But there are discussions I think that need to be had. However. In, in the immediate instance, uh, where does he go from here? I'm not sure he has any future in the game. Alan, do you think he's got any future? Do you think he should have? I've got absolutely no idea. Um, yeah. It's not it's not kind of um, uppermost in my considerations, to be honest, through, through no. it all. Um, he, uh, I mean, he may go down part-time. Maybe a, a Lowland League club will have him. Uh, something out the, out the spotlight. Um, I've, uh, it's... I mean, it's incredibly hard to tell. I don't think Clyde would. I, su- would take I suppose. Him back. I suppose the. I suppose the shoody is the kind of is the heavier question of the two. There really, isn't well, it? That's, uh, it's it's, Sean, it's a question. It's a question for um, the clubs who would consider a move, and it's for their fan base and their sponsors and their stakeholders to to answer because. Legally yeah. and factually, there is no correct answer. The The correct answer needs to be what is acceptable to the people um, who, for whom the football club is the most important thing in their life. I, I think that logically, um, you know, you could argue this logically. However, you know, in, in, in time, you know, in, in moments like this where kind of raw emotion and you could understand the raw emotion that this is invoked again, there is actually logically no good reason why Goodwillie shouldn't continue his career elsewhere. He's been playing for five years in Scottish football um, with barely a murmur. You know, the initial furore had gone away. However, um, you know, given that it's raised its head again, and many people have forgotten about it, and he was playing at Clyde, where there's not a great audience, or not, you know, they don't have a great media presence and all the rest of it. This has now raised its head again, and. I would have thought that any club trying to sign them, there is and there is absolutely the, the possibility of the same kind of um, uh, you know f- fight kind of flashback fight back call it what you will that we saw from Braith Rovers supporters. I think it would have been very interesting had they not decided to um, to try and escape uh, resile from the contract which they're about to do uh, to see what the attendance would have been. Um, 
when Wraith played at home at Starks Park because that that would be the acid test. You know, were what you know were the usual 12, 13, 1400 people prepared to turn up and see it, um, see him playing? But that that would have been more of a test. At the moment, it's only a guess. I mean, I, 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 my suspicion is that his career is has kind of ground to a halt and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that thinks, uh, you know, it, it, it's not even a consideration given, given um, you know, give, given what, all, all of the stuff that actually happened, given that this this girl and woman is having to relive uh, all of this stuff again. Yeah, However, exactly. the, that, hypo- yeah. the hypocrisies of the fact that he'd been playing for five years has to be addressed by uh, by uh, someone. And, and those who jumped on the bandwagon in recent days to, to, to criticise might well consider why they were Campaigning to make sure that there were changes in Scots law. If they felt, uh, 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 sorry, changes in uh, to Scottish football. Um, if, if this is how strongly they felt, you know, it's it's an absolutely no-win situation for anyone. This. Uh, I, I just briefly, I think that there was maybe a slight hint uh, in the crowd in midweek, Alan. If I'm not wrong, it was it was a wee bit down on the average, wasn't it? So there's maybe a suggestion of 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 what may have occurred uh, had had Rovers stuck with it. I think there were a good few hundred down on their average yeah. against being in the south in midweek, weren't they? It was um, 1,005, uh, the crowd in midweek, which um, I was reluctant to <clears throat> link uh, directly to the whole incident because their average is maybe around about 1,500, if I recall correctly. And um, given it was a bitterly cold Tuesday night against a Queen of the South team coming from Dumfries and bottom of the league. Um, yeah. It will probably, it wouldn't. Uh, that would not have been fair to to draw a direct parallel. But it's home to Hamilton on Saturday, and yeah, yeah, even yeah. in the light of this shoot turn, it will be interesting to see how the how the supporters react. Just to, just to briefly add on something that, that Jim alluded to there, and you know everyone's right to say that there was an initial backlash when he joined Clyde, um, and. Even he's obviously got stick from away fans and things like that. But in terms of the overall question of, you know, why is there no outcry when he was playing for Clyde? That's a question for Clyde fans. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the outcry has largely been driven in this incident by Wraith Rovers fans. This isn't a media Ferrari. This isn't yeah. a hurricane that we've created. This is. Um, this is Bill Clark an and Andy. Response, this, the, this is Bill Clark and Andy Mill stepping down. This is Val McDermott stepping away. This is Tag Game stepping away. This is Tyler Rattray giving up the captaincy of the Wraith Rovers. This is Wraith TV stepping down from their voluntary duties. Fabulous guys at Wraith TV. You know, this is this is all. This is all these fans that have said, "I'm never going to come back." More than 30, 40 volunteers ceasing to work for the club. So because that didn't happen at Clyde, that's a question for the Clyde fans. That's a question for their football club. Wraith Rovers fans will be screaming at everyone that makes the Clyde parallel and saying, go ask them why there wasn't a backlash, because this is our backlash. And I think Wraith Rovers fans, um, regardless of where you stand on the matter, deserve credit for making their voices heard and um, keeping a hold of... You know, that what I'm a huge aspect of their own football club. I just at that point would like to do direct a kind of a spotlight on one supporter, Martin Glass, who you can follow at Twitter on Martin underscore Glass 96, who's raised more than £12,000 for Rape Crisis mm, Scotland. Um, and if there's going to be, you know, Wraith Rover's reputation has been kind of dragged through the mud and all this, but Wraith Rover, in that sense, Wraith Rovers, if you want to put it like that, are six people. You know, that's who's responsible for that. Wraith Rovers, the football club, the fan base, the community have come out this with a hell of a lot of credit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, not not to, get, to kind of go over old ground and all, but I think you know, Alan was right in pointing out the, you know, the the ownership difficulties that Wraith now have. But I just cannot see. I mean, I think you know, anybody looking for a moral compass certainly cannot look to those running Wraith at the moment. I just do not see how. Um, you know, the, the, those people who made that decision to sign the player can now do anything other than the honourable thing and and leave the building bluntly for, you know, a long and arduous task of rehabilitating the reputation of the club. However, the, you know, given, given, the, given the ownership and, and the legalities of the club, that's going to be a very difficult situation to achieve. So I, I suspect this is perhaps the start of a, you know, um, a, a, a longer campaign to maybe change things right at the very top and uh, ownership structures and, and all of the rest of it. I mean, it's been a, it's, and in all of this, you know, we keep coming back to this, in all of this, there's a young woman who has been trying to put this behind her for so many years and it's all been dredged up again. We know there's all sorts of hypocrisies and philosophical discussions to, to be had about, you know, many things, corroboration and, and, and goodness knows how many other things. However, you know, at the end of the day, this crass decision has has awoken um, something that this young woman has been probably trying to put behind her every single day, every waking hour for the last five years, and it's 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 raised its head again, and it's an act of monumental, um, an act of monumental callousness in many respects. Yeah, just finally on Wraith Rovers, then we'll get to the to the actual football, uh, Alan. I mean, on the pitch, I mean, pr- promotion was the aim at the start of the season, and 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 it still is clearly, uh, arguably over the. Over the, over the last months, to the it's taken precedence over everything else, uh, the the desire to sort of achieve that. Um, but I mean, o- over the over the last week or so, I mean, the, the, there's got to have been some sort of. I can't see how there can't be damage done and, and to to relationships in that dressing room and what have you. I mean, do you think this is this is this is a salvageable situation on the pitch for Wraith Rovers? Yeah, oh, it's an interesting question. I- had a exchange with a a, a a player not involved with Wraith Rovers, just a, a player involved in British football yesterday, and I basically asked that exact question. Players will come out and say to us, you know, we're focusing on the football and we're trying to block all this out, but is that possible? Um, and the answer was it goes one of two ways. It either becomes a siege mentality in the dressing room and everyone sticks together and they become a stronger unit, or if they don't feel like they've been properly consulted through this, if some of them don't agree with the initial decision, if some of them don't agree with the U-turn, then rifts can form and it can become acrimonious. Now, I don't know what the answer is that going to be. Um, for yeah, interesting to watch though. For long periods, they were they were okay against Queen of the South, and there were defensive errors, and it was just a you know it was a normal football match. It didn't look like a team in revolt or anything, um, but it's. In terms of what was, I mean, the unity in that dressing room, the unity between the dugout and the the you know John McGlynn and the supporters was one of their biggest assets through this season, and it's been and it's been absolutely um, exploded um, uh, for no great reason other than the pursuit of fifteen goals a season. It's it remains utterly dumbfounding to me. Well, it will be uh, fascinating. Uh, to watch uh, Wraith Rovers on the park um, between now and the end of the season really we, we will get our answer I suspect to that final question there but uh, from there Jim to the relative sanity of the city of discovery <laughs> uh, and a, a derby that disappointed punters on both sides of the street really um, but a deadline day with with a reasonable amount of intrigue to it as well Um 
were you at the derby first of all, Jim? Yeah, I was, and and I was starting to feel. I mean, after the game, you know, I, I, I was sitting with kind of uh, Neil Robertson, um, formerly of of uh, DC's parish, you know, now now freelance, and uh, we, we were tuning the fact through the game. I was sitting in front of all radio colleagues from Radio Scotland, and. I got the distinct impression at the end of the game that I was one of the few people around that enjoyed it. I actually thought it was a, a, a you know, it, was a, it wasn't a good game of football. It wasn't Barcelona or Real Madrid, but then it's the Scottish football. It never was going to be. I thought it was a fascinating end-to-end game. I, I mean, the stats show that United had the better possession by kind of 56 to, to 44, but I thought Dundee looked more likely. They had certainly the five shots on target to United's none. Um and I thought in many respects, there were some elements to the game. There were three <coughs> three football players in the park, out-and-out football players. Charlie Adam has got that magnificent range of passing. Quick brain, quick feet, you know. Um, Paul McMullen, who was just sensational on the night, I thought he was terrific up and down raiding, you know, in that forward position, mainly on the right, but now and again pulling forward in a more kind of central position. But, you know, some terrific stuff from him. And Man Tony with Watt, a point to prove against his own team. Yeah, indeed. And why I let him go, I have to say, was, was, was a question of many United fans' lips. And I thought Tony Watt, who I think will be an excellent addition to United, um, albeit a frustrating night because quite often Dundee weren't so much doubling up as trebling up on him uh, on that left flank where he tends to play. So, you know, and, and he fought gamely and hard and all the rest of it. Now, it wasn't particularly pretty, but it was the end-to-end. It, it was wholehearted. I thought Dundee defended tremendously. Keeper didn't have a shot to, to save. They, de- they defended absolutely resolutely when they were under attack from balls coming in and all the rest of it. They were prepared to put their bodies and the way of things, as you saw right at the end, when Sweeney kind of tried to headbutt the ball, which was on the deck, just as Nicky Clark, you know, banged it over the bar from five yards. I mean, um, I thought that you know there was monumental bravery from from a Dundee uh, from Dundee, both in kind of at the back line and the midfield, um, less punchy up front. United were kind of punchless up front, to be frank, and 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 are lacking midfield wise. United are lacking kind of creativity at, at the moment, which is which will will worry people. But I actually I enjoyed the game. I, I just mm-hmm. enjoyed the fact that it was a derby um, with over eleven thousand, and you know, and once again. Um, Indicated the potential that James McPake has there if he can get the team going. The over seven thousand Dundee fans there, you know, that indicates again the the potential. So I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a a rip roaring derby. It wasn't a lot of great go mouth activity, but it was a game I enjoyed. I do like the idea of a centre half who doesn't header the ball; he headbutts it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm Every just, team needs one of them. I'm just laughing at the the there were three footballers on the pitch. I think it was the most damned <laughs> damned by faint praise thing I've ever. I heard in my life an entire game of football there are three footballers on the pitch no, I, I, I mean out and out out and out quality Mr Temple you know what I mean I mean the, the real the, the guys with the, the real magic in their boots you know I mean they were obviously you know the, the rest of them kind of gave an account of themselves but you know I, I, I always like to see the boys with magic sprinkled in their oh. uh, in their boots and McMullen Charlie Adam and, uh, and and Tony Watt I thought did that for me yeah Alan I mean from looking at the de- deadline day and the signings and what have you United um a busy morning on deadline day for them you could say with with um, Tim Akinola coming in on loan from Arsenal from their under 23s well we will know more about him when we when we when we get a chance to to see him uh, and interestingly a move out for for Louis Perry to Northampton town uh, on a permanent deal um he was out of contact at the end of the season um United have got a, a fee for him um United I believe there's a sell on involved in that as well um 
with you know six months to go on his contract, a bit less actually at this point. I mean, does that one interest you at all? Because Louis Perry's one who kind of burst into the first team scene a couple of seasons ago when United won the championship, and he and he looked he looked like he had fantastic potential, and he's sort of gone off the boil at United since then. Yeah, it's a shame it didn't work out for him. Um, I remember actually thinking that. There was real potential about him when when Robbie was giving him a real run in the championship, and you could see that he had physicality, power, we eye for goal, brought other people into the game. You were thinking, you know, there's there's definitely something there. But the issue with with young players is to really kick on with their development, especially if you want them to progress to the Premiership. Is they need to be playing regular football. You know, they need to be making mistakes and building confidence and recovering and learning and 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 also just have that belief that the manager thinks they are the guy. And I'm not sure Louis Perry was ever was ever given that. Um, financially, the deal absolutely makes sense. But in terms of squad building, it's, it's quite an interesting one because um, Max Biamu's seems to be persona yeah. non grata just at the moment. You've now not got Louis Perry. I realise I've signed Tony Watt. But in terms of that plan B striker, that striker when you need just a bit of heft, a bit of oomph up front. Um, I, I think effectively not having Biamu or Aperi is, a, is, a, is an interesting gap in the squad. I thought they would have um, liked to have maybe uh, replaced replaced those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, Kevin McDonald was the other, uh, it wasn't a deadline day signing, it mm-hmm. came after they didn't need to get that done on deadline day with Kevin being a, being a free agent, uh, of course. Uh, but Looking at that one, um, he obviously didn't didn't play in the derby through the week, but you know he's gone through a lot. Uh, but I mean, a fantastic career behind him as well, and the pedigree certainly there. So United have obviously seen enough in training from him to 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 offer him this deal. Are you, are you excited about seeing what what he can bring oh, to United? I mean, yeah, I mean, Kevin's had a hell of a time. You know, I mean, um, the situation with his with his, his illness is, is, you know, a kidney transplant and all the rest of I me, mean, which which is a kind of a tale in itself. Um, I mean, if if Kevin can return to, you know, even 80, 90% of the kind of um, the level of fitness he had, and I, and I know he's not he's not the sort of boy that will, he's had a fantastic career. You know, we know that Fulham, Wolves, Sheffield United, you know, Burnley. I mean, there's been a terrific career uh, for him, Scotland caps and all the rest of it. So he's nothing to prove. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing to prove uh, in football. Um, in a sense, it's a homecoming. Albeit he started it. We know he started at Dens. He was two or three years, well, three years above my, my young lad when he was there in, in, in the youth teams. You know, he used to see all the kids regularly. Uh, and of course, it's kind of a, a home a home return for him. Um, he, he's a fabulous football player. I mean, somebody said, you know, somebody said to me last week, uh, be a good replacement for Fuchs. Well, but we, with all due respect, um, you know, <laughs> a substantial step up for from Gianda Fuchs, you know he's a, yeah. he's a terrific player, and if they can get if they can get anything like his capabilities, you know, and he's I know he's only signed to the, the end of the season, but if, you know if, if fitness is not an issue and all the rest, he can get back to where he was. It's just a fabulous signing for United. I think I mean, I mean what, what you're saying about it being an upgrade, I certainly think Fuchs <laughs> Fuchs on recent uh, oh. form <laughs> and apart an apparent interest, <laughs> certainly mm. uh, it's an upgrade. I mean, uh, uh, Alan. He's, it, it, Fuchs is one who, when when he came in, he he, he looked he looked terrific, and he had a, a really good start to the season. And then 
you know, he goes and gives a, a, an interview to a French publication in which yeah. he, he links himself to every club <laughs> under the sun, basically. And I think at that point, you kind of get a sense that his mind might be elsewhere. And yeah. it certainly looked like that towards the end, didn't it? I remember sitting on this podcast and his form had not dipped by that point, yeah. but we were still sitting here going, oh, that's alarm bells ringing. When you, when you give an interview to a foreign outlet and then don't even have the good grace to claim you were misquoted or taken out of context, <laughs> which, is, which is the which is the which your natural get-out as a footballer, um, I, I think it was the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, I'd... You don't want to accuse anyone of downing tools and things like that, so I certainly won't. But his form fell off a cliff. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it's when you're talking about losing John Do Fuchs, you know, Dundee United aren't losing the John Do Fuchs that became a fan's favourite. They're losing the guy who was latterly on the books. And in that regard, they've done good business because he's not a huge loss. Right. Jim, uh, I mean, we've discussed the derby there, um, goalless drives. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a pretty drab affair, but you loved it. <laughs> there we go. I wouldn't you say know, I loved it. I mean, I enjoyed it. But it was a point, a point for United. I mean, if you look at the form uh, at United, how much of a concern is that, do you think, at this point? Because that's, that's one win in ten. Uh, now for United and they've, they've got a game against St Johnson at the weekend who are, who are suddenly a side mm-hmm. in similar form who, who've taken four points from the last six Well um, I, I think th- this is going to be a fascinating battle at McDermott because uh, Saints, I mean Saints have been busy in the signing, I mean I've kind of lost track now you know, having, having chewed the fat with Stevie Brown a few weeks back and uh, you know, uh, uh, just as they were ready to embark on this, this splash, is it now, is it seven they've now signed I think uh, They've got uh, eight, eight uh, new faces Eight, eight new faces now. Yeah. I was starting to lose, starting to lose track, you know. So obviously there's that settling in period and all the rest. At United, I've got a few as well. Um, but you kind of sense. I mean, Callum watching Callum being interviewed on telly in midweek, th- th- there was a lightness about him. You know, for the first time in weeks, it kind of looked like a massive burden had been lifted off the shoulders after you know um, the, the Livy win and all the rest. Of it they have lifted themselves off the foot of the table. That to me, that was a, the hugely. Dis- I said it. And a wee blur of James McBacon midweek to say that you know. Um, after what was probably a decent point, although not as, you know, um, arguably a better point for kind of, Dundee needed the points more than United, but it was a good point in the derby. But, you know, having fought very hard during the course of the evening, they end up going bottom uh, bottom of the league. But it was a great a great three points for St. John's because Livingston is a very, very difficult venue. They've proven what, what a very tough um, set of opponents they are. So that, that was a, a a great one. I think this this game will tell us a lot um, at McDermott Park. It'll tell us whether, you know, it'll tell us a lot about it. Because, Sean, for, for, you know, both for St. John's and Dundee now, but for United as well, the rest of the season is less about tactical formations and and you know and you know whether it's four four twos or four two three one whatever. <laughs> this is now about attitude, desire, hunger, commitment. These are the things that will, will, will decide whether or not United make the top six or slip into the bottom six. And these are the things that will decide whether St Johnson and Dundee can escape this relegation scrap. The two of them are, are absolutely in. Um, uh, so for Saints, I think you know all these new faces um, that lift uh, you know. Uh, from kind of recent improvement, um, I think will either be cemented to some extent in the battle against United, um, or I'll be back to square one. Uh, so um, it's one I, I, I'll probably be at Dens, I, I think, in Saturday. But I'm kind of thinking now maybe I've made the wrong choice. You know. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be at McDermott. So if you come through there, we'll uh, we'll 
get a pie and a blather. Oh, good idea. <laughs> uh, if nothing else. Um, Alan, um, I was at St Johnston's game against Livingston uh, in midweek and there actually has been a lot of talk about the formation in, in, uh, at St Johnston in recent months, um, chiefly because it didn't appear to be working and, and, and nothing was <laughs> nothing was going their way, results weren't going their way and nothing was changing. So I think it was a bit of frustration building, but uh, obviously a good few new faces come in. There were only two of them who started against Livingston. Those being Dan Cleary, uh, right centre back, and the right of that three, and uh, Melker Halberg uh, in midfield, who's just come in from, well, he was at Hibs, he was released, well, he negotiated his release from Hibs and then signed for St Johnston. Uh, the two of them together, um, it looked like that tactical machine, if you like, had, had, had regained a, an essential cog and it looked much more functional. You'll have you'll have seen a lot more of Melker Halberg, I would imagine. Um, in your in a previous life, uh, than 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 we have, uh, he looked like a really classy player. I mean, is is that is that is that the perception of him at Hibs, as far as you're aware? Yeah, now I, I used to cover the Edinburgh beat just before anyone out there thinks I'm a Hibs fan. Um, it's, uh, it's, God forbid. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, Milker's a. A really, yes, he's a very tidy player, great on ball retention, circulates the ball very well, um, finds gaps, breaks the lines. Um, I must admit, I don't think he's quite as box-to-boxy as some seem to um, kind of be describing him as. He can get about the pitch, big language strides, you know, he's no slouch, but I think his, his greatest attribute is the fact that he is cool, calm, collected, will you know, take the ball, doesn't mind protecting it, makes passes. I, I like him. I think he's a he's a good footballer. And um um I'm not sure I'm not sure he ever did anything particularly wrong at Hibs. He just was never considered an automatic starter. Um if he had been an automatic starter he could maybe have kicked on. But I think you can look at his um his past career, his clubs, um his youth international recognition and you can see that there's a really good footballer there and you mentioned Dan Cleary as well I'm really really impressed by him I like the cut of his jib and I think he's going to be a immediate St Johnston fans favourite the man's got a sort of tackle anything vibe he's a leader he's enjoying the you know he's mm-hmm. firing up the fans he's saying the right things to their you know club tv afterwards he's i think he's going to be a, he already seems like he's walked in the building and said i'm a leader i'm ready for uh-huh. this let's you know let's get out of this and in terms of you know when you're talking about spfl football when we don't have a great deal of you know world beaters um desire and a real um you know ferocious will to win can count for a lot and Cleary seems like he's walked in with that with that energy. Yeah. Yeah, there there definitely does uh, seem to be a change of energy around St Johnson. You hesitate to 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 go too far too quickly with it or talk it up too much because it's still very early days. But it's certainly against Dundee and against Livingston there, there, there were positive signs that there, there hadn't been for a good long while before that, and and I think the as Alan points out, I think that a couple of the new faces have come in, freshened the place up. The attitude seems to to have changed, and and there does seem to be that hunger, that desire, the determination, and all of a sudden the tactics are working. So, I mean, St Johnson are now off the bottom of the league as well mm-hmm. after the the, the levy one, albeit on goal difference. I mean, can the chairman promise to back his manager? He's done that. Do you get a sense that that St Johnson can? fight their way out of this now 
Yes, ab- absolutely. <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why both, you know, both are clubs. Excuse United, because United are not in, you know, United are a different kettle of fish here. But th- th- there's no good reason for me now, in fact, I'll probably address this in my column uh, for the uh, Courier uh, tomorrow. But I mean, there's no good reason why both the clubs can't. I think they have the personnel to do it. I mean, Cleary, I'm the same. I, I, like, I, I like the look of Cleary. I mean, it was a couple of times he kind of looked... A, a slight touch flat-footed against uh, Forrest, but th- you know that you know what I wouldn't quibble about that because Forrest is a wee will of the wisp, and he will he's give. Quick, yeah. he, he's very quick and he's very nippy, and you know, and, and any fullback or any central defender uh, can struggle against that kind of pace. The key thing is how quickly they recover. Did he go in the chase? And he did both times. I thought his dink ball for Henry's head was absolutely sweetness and, uh, and yeah, light. You know, it was just so beautifully weighted and delivered, and it, there was almost a nonchalant about it, and it was it was perfection. It was and Henry did beautifully well with the head. It was almost dinked right onto his forehead to put away, you know. So I thought that was very neat. And I thought the way Saints kind of went right to the end and finished uh, finished Livy off with, with a late goal, I think was indic- indicative, you know, uh, with, with Ali Crawford's kind of, you know, last minute kind of affair. I thought it was indicative of the hunger and desire that they now need to show. I think that they had been a wee bit slack. They probably should have gone, you know, in very early, right at the start of the, of the month and all the rest, it done their business quicker. But that, you know what, that's... It is what it is, as the Americans are fond of saying. And now they've brought the new faces in. They've brought in kind of, you know, people like Cleary with that hunger, that desire, the organisational ability. There's no good reason why why they, along with Dundee, but there's no good reason why they can't now fight their way above. I mean, they're double cup cup winners, for God's sake. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, most of us are still astounded and can't put our fingers on. We know the story with losing the two players you know, um, who were part of their great success. But there's no good reason now. I mean, at the minute, you know, they're five points adrift to Ross County, but they've a game in hand. So, you know, you know, all other things being equal, that, that brings it down to, to, to a couple of points, you know. Uh, and of course, Dundee have got Ross County tomorrow. So, you know, they are not mm. by any manner of means at this stage in the season um, well adrift. And I think, yes, it's, it's entirely possible. I'm, I'll hesitate from saying probable. It's entirely possible that Saints will pull themselves away from this. Aye. Just before we move on to Dundee, a wee observation that you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned Alan Forrest. He was playing like a man absolutely possessed against St Johnston at Livingston, and uh, I've never quite seen anything like that before. Because we we mentioned earlier in relation to Paul McMullen about a player who might have a point to prove against his old team. I've never seen a player with a point to prove against a team who tried to sign him before. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, well, it's like he was furious. Uh, well, <laughs> Raging, yeah. <laughs> it may well be. Maybe they didn't offer him enough money. I don't know. I, mean, I just, but he's a smashing B player. I, I, I have, I've always liked him. I have to say, every time there are certain players that you see that always. It's, it's a wee bit like Zach Grodden. Every time I've seen Zach Grodden, he's impressed me, and, and I think he'll do really well for Dundee. And similarly, Forrest. Every time I've seen B Forrest, I've thought he's, a, he's a smashing B player. He's nippy. He's a wee will of the wispies. He's in about people. You know, he, he takes the ball up to him, and he's got that lovely jink, and he's by them. Um, you know, he's a t- but he, he did seem to be a man possessed, didn't he? On the crazy. Uh, on the night, but he, but he ended up on the losing side. You know, <laughs> yeah, he did. Poetic justice—that's what we'll call that. <laughs> uh, right, Dundee, Alan. Um, it's the, the Dens Park roller coaster rumbles on, I suppose, and <laughs> it's uh, it's rumbled on down to the bottom of the league after the midweek fixtures there. So they're only there on goal difference, to be fair, from St Johnson. So I mean, while it's a concern to be at the bottom of the league. It's not a total disaster given given they weren't that far clear of St. Johnson anyway. But I mean, suddenly 
Ross County on Saturday looks looks massive, really. Uh, when you're at the bottom of the league, I think every game's every game's massive, uh, and and this Ross County side is one who've you've given Dundee something of a hiding at Dens already this season, so they should be feeling a bit of pressure, Dundee, at the moment, shouldn't they? Yeah, I think slipping to the bottom of the league obviously acts as a kind of wow, it's it's real moment for a lot of onlookers and, and supporters, but I don't think it will be that shock to the system within the corridors of, of Dens Park. I th- they know they're in a battle. They, um, you know, they knew they were close to the bottom and they know they'll need to fight their way out. The fact that they're bottom of the league by goal difference is just you know, a thing at the moment. Um, it's so it's not it's any it's not any new aspect of crisis or anything. Um, and also, while it wasn't exactly champagne football in the derby, you know, I think on another day they probably win that game. If if either team wins it, Dundee do. Um, there were signs of life. I like the look as uh, you know, as Jim says, when Zach Rudden came off the bench, I thought there was definitely something there in terms of um, a focal point and somebody who's prime concern is to put himself about, get in dangerous areas, try to get on the end of crosses. Um, you know, he's the type of player that once he's starting every week, you get the feeling like people like Paul McMullen, one of those three footballers, um, will really love kind of, you know, whipping in crosses to and using as a, as a target because as a winger, there's nothing you'll love more than having a player like Zach Rudden up there because you know, whip that into the front post, he's getting across his defender or hang it in there, he's knocking it down. So I think that's a big sign and to get that done uh, in January is a really was a, was a really bright move and you know they've added more depth impact off the bench nobody really knows a, a great deal in terms of what to expect from you know guys like Jay Chapman for example but you know, it's an exciting prospect once they get a few minutes under their belt and yeah I, th- I think at this stage where January transfer windows only just closed the teams have made a lot of changes uh, the league tables never mean anything never you know it's, it's never been less mm-hmm. important if you like in the sense that there's a hell of a lot of football to be played and nobody really knows how good some of these additions that clubs have made uh, during the January window are. So it's going to be a fascinated couple of weeks as that all becomes apparent. Jim, Jim I think, I mean, if there is pressure, and there is pressure. So I think it comes in, in Dundee's case from, uh, as Alan pointed out, I mean, the squad looks, looks decent. It looks like they've got a good mm-hmm. mix there. Uh, but we said that at the start of the season. And and here we are now. So the pressure comes because uh, on paper uh, they look like they should be doing better than they are, and and they f- yet they find themselves at the bottom of the league. So at the time really is now to 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 show that they are mm-hmm. what we think they should be. That, 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 that's right, and I mean I think Alan hit it on the head. He says none of us really know how good many of these players are, and that's the problem. I mean, you know, we we we, we a couple of the signings that, that James McPeak made, who, who who to me massively disappointed not just the fans but let him down badly, and Lee Griffiths and Jason Cummings. You looked at these two; they were known quantities. You knew the kind of ability they had, but they let down massively. You know, um, so. You know, the, the, the players that have come in, you know, whether it's Dundee or St. John's or United, it's always an unknown quantity to a great extent in the January transfer window. It's not a window I'm fed up hearing myself saying. It. It's not a window I'm fond of. I mean, uh, on this, uh, you know, uh, uh, this time round, I mean, money has actually been spent in, in some of these situations. But very often, as we've seen again, it's loan players coming in or, you know, players that clubs are, are keen to get away for whatever reason, injury or fitness worries or, or whatever, you know. So there's always a mix. And, you know, if you find, if you sign six or seven players, the law of averages will suggest that maybe only three or four will really perform the way you, you had kind of hoped. Um, but in terms of this game, 
as I said with St Johnson, it's now about attitude and determination. Not being an easy one. Ross County have drawn against Aberdeen, a great draw against uh, Rangers. I, I think in Hungbo and Charles Cook, they've got two terrific talents. They've got really quick players, lively players. That they, they, They've got a physicality about them, um, Ross County, which you need um, in this league. But Dundee... I thought in midweek showed a terrific amount of hunger and desire. I thought, you know, all the way around. I mean, you know, at one stage, we McMullen uh, came from nowhere to make a tackle. I can't remember who it was up the left flank. You know, he made a, a phenomenal tackle from, <laughs> you know, he appeared from nowhere about 25 yards away to scythe, uh, scythe through and win the ball. And I thought it was indicative of the, you know, this is a diminutive wee player. It was indicative of the kind of hunger and desire he showed in the night. The key is maintaining that for the rest of the season and finding that consistency of of desire and and and, and you know and appetite for the rest of the season for them it'll not be easy because they've got a, you know the, the, not only Ross County tomorrow who have improved they've got a couple of very difficult ones coming up uh, in terms of you know I think it's Hearts then then it's Peterhead in the cup and then it's Celtic so it just doesn't get any easier in this league but you know b- both Saints and Dundee sitting there on the 18 point gap not too far away from Ross County a huge one tomorrow for Dundee. I mean, if they, you know, if, if they win this one, then again the gap narrows, and again they've got they've got a game a game in hand. So it's an absolutely massive one for them. And of course, St. Martin are, are, are within um, are within catching range as well as are Livingston. So there's loads to play for both sides. I think on the face of it, have the squads, but we thought that before. Both Dundee and St. Johnson, I think, have the squads to get themselves out of trouble, but it will require absolute one hundred percent commitment from everyone. Where you know where Saints or a Dundee shirt on. You love Paul McMullen, don't you, Jim? Ah, he's a great wee player. Yeah. And he just, he's an entertainer par excellence. On his game, he's just, I mean, he, he's, he, he always asks this, this question. I mean, who are the players you would pay to see and who are the players that get you off your seat? And McMullen's one of them for me. I still can't understand why United let him go. Indeed, yeah. Okie doke. Well, I think we've covered uh, rather a lot of ground there, guys, and uh, a lot of intrigue, a lot of, a lot of stuff to keep our eyes on over the next week or so, uh, which we will do, of course. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, folks, and we will be back next week. Thanks very much. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it, or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people to find Talking Football, and that means a lot to us. Don't forget too to pick up your copy of The Courier Monday to Saturday, or go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe to find out how to get our award-winning sport, business and local journalism across Tayside and Fife in the way that's right for you. The Courier. Local matters.